Welcome to Flow Stars, candid conversations between Dr. Peter O'Toole and the big hitters of flow cytometry. Brought to you by Beckman Coulter at Bite Size Bio. Today on Flow Stars, I'm joined by Alice Given, the author of Flow Cytometry First Principles, and we'll discuss the funding problems she's had throughout her career. Since there really were no um, full-time jobs available for me at, at Newcastle, that I was in a bad position. Working for the Open University. That was terrific because these were people who they really wanted to, they were, they were there because they really wanted to be there. Her unique diverse skill sets. So I learned to sharpen axes and I, I learned to hang an axe um, head onto a handle. And why every flow lab needs a microscope. I can't tell you how many people have brought cells to a cytometer, run them through like let's say a sorter or not, and then complained about the results and blamed the operator or the sorter. All in this episode of Flow Stars. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole from University of York and today I'm joined by Alice Given on this episode of Flow Stars. Alice, how are you? I'm just fine. Alex, thank you so much for accepting the invitation to talk today. I've heard a huge amount about you, but actually I don't think I've ever personally met you, uh, which is amazing because I think, well, our paths probably haven't crossed, but you are, wh where are you living at the moment? At the moment, I'm living in Brooklyn, New York, and I've only been here for about, well, that's an interesting question. I've been here for about three years, but I was born here. So you, you've gone full cycle all the way around. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm finished or not. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what the future has in store, but I'm, I'm retired at the moment, so maybe I'm finished. <laughs> I, don't, I use the word finished in quotation marks. So I also know that, thinking of New York, Old York, York, UK, where I'm from, actually you are fairly local to here for some years? Not, I'm trying to think how long, maybe only eight months, but it was when, um, do you see in the background oh, here? I do, yes. Howden, Yorkshire, when, <laughs> I don't know how to, how to, so my husband and I worked in a lab in the Department of Biology at York University when York University was only about two years old. Oh, wow. So 60s, late 60s? 69. And um, it was, we had a terrific time. And I'm pointing, I'm pointing to that brass rubbing because while working in the lab, and we did work, I mean, we were doing science. We also were typical American tourists and we went trotting around doing grass rubbings in old English churchyards, not churchyard, churches. Yeah. But I mean, we were better than the typical American tourist who, who just writes off and buys grass rubbings on the internet. So we, I mean, we, we had a really great time. Um, yeah. I think it was eight months, but I probably um, 
we didn't overlap with anybody who you would have known because it was a long time ago. Oh, I, I, I guess the oldest that I, the people who have left York now that were old stonewalls would have been the likes of Henry Lease, but I think he was after that and John Curry and... John Curry, I think maybe was there. We worked in Rachel Leach's lab, but I know oh. I mean, she's died, but she was one of the sort of founding uh, lecturers there. Yes. And actually, so Joe Marison uh, was a technician under Rachel for some years, and she's now working for myself. Uh, oh. so, so actually, so there's a very connection to Rachel, but I never met Rachel in person. Um, anyway, we we had a wonderful time. We, you know, we just enjoyed being there. And then, as maybe you don't know, we went back to the States and then my husband got a job in Newcastle and we lived in Newcastle for 20 years. Did you know that? I, I, I didn't know it was 20 years, but uh, I knew you were in Newcastle. So why did you come back to the UK? Uh, short answer is my husband was offered a good job there. So, I mean, we, we went to the UK to, be, to work for that short term because why not? It was just a short term job and it was fun and that was kind of interesting thing to do. And then we went back to the States for, so both my husband and I were biologists and we, we met as graduate students. So we went back to California and then we were looking for jobs, but my husband was offered this job as a lecturer in Newcastle and why, I guess he was just looking for jobs anywhere. And I was a bit, um, I don't know whether I was looking, I mean, I should have been looking for jobs, but he got this offer. Yep. And it was a lectureship, so that was a long-term good job. Yeah. And we were not averse to work, to living in Britain. We had that eight months. And also it was a time of, <clears throat> I don't know whether, it was a time of the Vietnam War stuff. So we weren't exactly protesting life in, in the States, but we were quite happy to be living in Britain. Yep. So off we went to Newcastle. Uh and we lived there for 20 years and both our kids were born there. So, right, so, so how old are your children now? 47 and 49. And they're dual nationals. And scientists as well? No, they're both academics, but not at all scientists. One's a musicologist and the other is, I don't know how you describe her. She's political, she's interested in uh labor relations okay so i don't know not scientists at all so what I, was your to, to going back to yourself what was your first degree in biology and why the passion for biology at that age it's a good question yeah i so i grew up in a family so my parents were 
children of immigrants. My father, now I'm going back. My father was the first person in his family who ever went to university, had any education. My mother had no education. She left school without, left um, school. I'm trying to get the English and the American terminology. So she left high school. She didn't, she finished yep. school when she was left without a high school education. Yeah, sort of 13, 14, 15. Yeah, well, she left, yeah. I guess, at 16 and dropped out and got a secretarial degree. So she didn't have any education. She was pretty much the smartest person I ever met, but you know what I'm talking about. But my father, when he went to university, he got a degree in engineering, but then became a high school teacher in the state schools. So where I'm going to is that I never met a biologist and never met a scientist, but I somehow from a very young age always wanted to be a biologist, but I never met one and never, I even remember asking some, I remember saying I wanted to be a biologist or a biochemist, but not knowing what the difference was or what they were but I just always wanted to be one. And, and I, I can't tell you why. No, I, mean, sure. I, used to, I used to go to um, like, I mean, I, with my family, there's a, a really good natural history museum in New York. And I used to, you know, we used to look at the, the dinosaur skeletons and things. And I used to like that, but that's not being a scientist. I mean, I never knew a scientist. I never knew anyone who was a scientist. But there I was, I went off to college and I knew I wanted to major in biology. And I, I, I don't know why. And then on the first day of college, I saw a scientist. That was my, my first scientist. And I ended up doing a project in his lab as a, you know, an undergraduate research project, you know, what, what I mean by a research project. So how did you get into flow cytometry? Because you must have been there at, you know, right at the very early stages of flow cytometry. Well, okay, so I did, I, I did an advanced degree on, so all I knew when I went to do an advanced degree was that I, was interested in, I didn't want to work on chemicals and I didn't want to work on higher, I didn't want to be a ecologist, let's just call it. I wanted to work on cell, cell biology or something, cell biochemistry or something like that. And I did my PhD on, um, Well, I can tell you what it was on. It wasn't because I was interested in that subject, but I was interested in that level of biology. And it was on yep. photosynthesis in a green algae, a unicellular green algae. Okay. And then I worked on that for a while. 
And when we went to England, I got, or through the help of the head of the department, got a grant so I could work on that. And here's where I had problems. I worked at Newcastle on that branch. And then I worked part-time when my kids were little. And then the grant ran out and it wasn't renewed. And then I worked on someone else's lab on something else, but I was working. And then I found out although I hadn't known this, that Newcastle University had a rule that said that you could not be employed at Newcastle University on soft money for more than a total of six years. And that meant that if I got my own grant or on anybody else's grant or anything like that, I could not be employed at Newcastle University. So I was stuck because Newcastle isn't that big a place. And I, so really, I really, since there really were no um, full-time jobs available for me at, at Newcastle, that I was in a bad position. So I really floundered around and I was not happy. And I did part little part-time teaching at the poly. And I did work for the Open University, which I loved. I mean, I really liked that, but that wasn't being a scientist. Um, and I taught at the my kids' primary school. I mean, I just went in and I showed the little kids at school how to dissect the cow's eye. And, they thought that was suitably yucky. And, you know, I mean, I, I like doing that. But and then one day I saw an ad. I'm getting to the point. I know I talk. I talk a lot. No, no it's good. One day I saw an ad in the or somewhere. I became aware that there was a job being advertised at Newcastle University Medical School. And the job was financed, not through the university, but through the health service. And that meant that technically I was eligible for it because it was not financed through the university. <clears throat> so I applied for it. Um, although there was one problem with the job. The job was to operate a flow cytometer and I literally never heard of a flow cytometer. I, I really, I had never, this was in 1985. And really, I had never heard of a flow cytometer. But they were quite new back in 85, so that's... Okay, so maybe that's an excuse. But nevertheless, I, I really wasn't... I, the only good thing about the job was I was eligible for it because it was paid through the health service, not through the university. But I had not ever heard for it and this job was somebody to operate a flow cytometer but what the hell <laughs> applied for the job and I got the job I guess because either nobody else had applied for it or nobody else had ever heard of a flow cytometer how do I know so I got this job and it was in the department of surgery. So let me tell you that was a bit of a culture shock because here I was coming from very pure science departments 
And here I was faced with a bunch of surgeons, but um, I actually thrived in this job. First of all, um, I really fell in love with flow cytometers. They, they're it's terrific. What was the first flow? What was the flow cytometer then that you were using then? So it was a Becton Dickinson Fax 420. It, um, I don't know, it, uh, I could describe it. It, so first of all, it, it. <laughs> I, I don't have a, oh, oh no, I have a picture. There you go. Okay, there you go. I have a feeling this picture is reversed, but it doesn't matter. Um, it, what you don't see is in one corner of this room, there was a huge tank that was um, like six feet tall and six, or, or I don't know, huge, that was full of, because it, somehow the, argon, the, the single argon ion laser was water, well, water cooled, but it somehow it wasn't hooked up to the uh, house supply. It was hooked up to its own water tank. And that tank once, don't do I tell you, it sprung a leak and we were ankle deep in water. But okay, so it had this argon ion laser and it had forward and side scatter. And it had, just before I arrived, it, it had been upgraded to wait for it, two fluorescence parameters. And that was high technology in those days. So we could do, wait for it, not just fluorescein, but also phycoerythrin simultaneously. And that was hot stuff in those days. But the good thing about it is that from learning flow cytometry, it was, so you can't, I'm trying to point to, you can't see that I'm pointing to my screen. It was all laid out there. So right behind this bench that I'm working on, you could see everything. Yeah, you're pointing. <laughs> you could see the laser and you, you had to be able to tune the laser, but you could see all the all, all four of the photomultiplier tubes or whatever they were. And you could see everything hooked up the way it was. And it was really good for learning how to, what was what. And um, I think it was a good way to learn flow cytometry. Um, and I, they don't exist anymore like that. You know, okay. now they're even, even the advanced flow cytometers are all hidden away in a black box. Although you do, I mean, I have my doubts about people using black box flow cytometers. I mean, I know people, I know that good flow cytometrists are good, but I, I have my doubts about the people who just push a button and put their cells on and then write down a number at the end. So I've got to ask, you said, did you say it sprung a leak at some point, your argon laser? The no, the water supply, the cooling supply sprung yeah. a leak and there was water gushing out because it was under, I mean, it was a big tank and it was under a certain amount of pressure and there was water flowing all over the lab. And, uh, we, we had a, oh, what was it? An old coherent enterprise laser. Oh, yeah. And that was on the building's chilled water supply. And that, yeah, that, that pipe came out once. Unfortunately, the power of the water, the hose it was connecting, it just went straight downwards. 
So it's just rigid pipe going downwards, but oh my goodness, the panic as the MoFlo was getting sprayed. And Well, I mean, there is a certain amount of high voltage around at the same time, but the trouble, see, at least with the system that we had, there was a tank of water, so there's a limited amount of water, whereas if it's hooked up to the building water supply, I suppose the amount of water is without I, limit, really. It was a closed tank, but it's a very big closed tank. Yeah. <laughs> and the power, the force, the pressure. Oh, yeah. Leaks in labs, always good fun. <clears throat> so so that actually, you must have known Brian Shenton then. Well, that, that was the lab. That His lab was the one that I, that he hired me. Basically. So he hired you? Yep. So Brian Shenton is to blame for you then. <laughs> <laughs> you might say that. So, so the the purpose of the of that flow cytometer was well, it was in the Department of Surgery, and it was bought by a surgeon. I will say because he had the idea that. It, there had been some literature published that these might the flow cytometer might be useful to, or an, a flow cytometric assay might be useful to predict rejection of transplants. And this department, this surgery department, was doing uh, kidney transplants at that time. So that was why it was um, bought for the surgery department. And that was why I ended up. Uh, working with some surgeons who were messing around with blood samples from kidney recipients. Do you say 20 years at Newcastle? Yeah. That's a, so you must have seen quite a few iterations of different cytometers, even when you were at Newcastle. And where... where well, I wasn't... I only worked with flow cytometers in Newcastle for five years. The first bit of that time, I... I worked with um, my project and then I was unemployed for a, a long or, yeah. or semi-employed. And then the flow cytometry was only the last five years. And then we moved back and then I worked in a, at Dartmouth in, in the United States. So when did you when did you leave the UK? What year was that? 91. Is this picture from when you were in the UK? It looks very <laughs> UK. Like. Yes, that's a picture of our dog taking me for a walk. Um, and I can't remember exactly where that was, but but it was, so we didn't have that dog until we moved to Newcastle. So it was, that must have been 1985 or six or something like that. And I can't remember exactly where it was. I, I, I just like the picture. It's very, very typically old it, English. It wouldn't be in the United States anywhere at all. No, no, with the stone walls and everything else. And you sent this picture as well, which I think... <laughs> I, 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 I picked out things. That's my glamour shot. You do no, this, know that. This is, a load of tool, this is a tool shed, I think. That was my first job. Uh, well, it wasn't. I used to work for my aunt who owned a little children's apparel shop in the neighborhood and I got paid 10 cents a day but so I worked there was a summer camp in the states for children overnight for children and they the 
children at the camp did. It was a really great place that, that I attended as well. And it was very progressive in that it was into things like organic. This was a long time ago before these things were popular and into organic gardening and forestry and things like that. And the kids did work projects of all sorts. And they needed tools and things to do these work projects. And I, the summer before I started university, I had a, I got a job at this camp as, well, I, this, this wasn't because I was a feminist, but I was, I had a job as the tool room boy. Well, I was the first female to hold this job as the tool room boy, although I didn't think of it as a, as a, a, a banner for feminism at that time. But my job was to keep the tools organized for, for these projects. And the projects were gardening and forestry and carpentry projects that the kids did. But it was not only did I have to keep the tools organized, but I had to learn what they were because they were all different kinds of saws and all, and, but I also had to kind of maintain them. So I learned to sharpen axes and like I learned to hang an ax um, head onto a handle and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I learned how to use a hammer properly. Like you don't kind of use your wrist, you use all that kind of stuff. And I really enjoyed it. And it was a great bunch of people as well. So whether or not it was a, a kind of blow for feminism and all that I don't know but but it was um I, I I'm not sure whether it was a, a a kind of first step into an interest in kind of messing around with tools and the inside of flow cytometers I don't know kind of interesting well the spanners would still be useful I'm sure the hand drills may be not quite so useful for the cytometers. <laughs> Hammer. So Sometimes you can take a hammer to a laser and get it working better, do you think? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> For a minute and then it goes again. Uh, so if that was your first job, what happened after Newcastle? You went back to, where did you go back to in the States? So we went back. So my job was sort of running out. I mean, with financial issues, it was seemed like my job was not going to go on forever. And my husband's, although he had a permanent job at the university, it seemed like, he, if, I don't know, it seemed like maybe it would be interesting to see what life was like in the States, whether we, I don't know, it was a good time to see again whether we like life in the States or not. The kids were at an age, when um, our son was just finishing A-levels and our daughter was just moving, would have been moving into A-levels. So we thought it was maybe a time to make a change if we wanted to, although we were perfectly, we really liked living in Britain, actually. I mean, we, that, we weren't dissatisfied with that. But to make a long story short, I'm not very good at making long stories short. Um, uh, my husband was offered a good job in New Hampshire in the States. 
like the head of department. And it was so good job. So it seemed like it might be good to take a chance on that. But I didn't have anything in the States. But I, it looked like my job was probably going to run out in, um, in England as well. So we just up and left and went to New Hampshire in the States. And I looked around for a job. And that's when I got this job. Well, I didn't exactly get a job at Dartmouth Medical School in the States. When I say I didn't get a job, it was they were looking to expand or had just started to expand a flow cytometry lab, core lab at the medical school, not the clinical lab, but it was the research core lab. And I first started out, I kind of worked literally by the hour. Well, we have a little bit of money and just hang around and see whether you can get, start training people and that sort of thing. And I kind of worked into that and eventually stayed there for, I don't know, 20 years. And it expanded a, a bit. It was never a huge lab um, by such standards, but it, you know, got bigger. I applied for money and we got some more instruments and it eventually got one confocal microscope, but it was not a, a huge enterprise. And what about the cytometers? How many cytometers were you using then? When I arrived there, they had two, they had a Star Plus and had just got more of a bench toppy one. I can't remember what it was. Might have been a fax, wasn't a fax caliber, fax scan. I can't remember. And then gradually they got a fax caliber and maybe a, one other bench toppy one and confocal microscope. And I applied for a few of those grants to get those shared instruments yeah but um i think the most all i think the maximum number were kind of I'm trying to picture the the lab maybe they had oh and then they got an aria sorter so they had two sorters but probably never used both i mean when they got the aria they stopped using the fact star essentially stopped using the fact star plus because the aria was easier yep. to use and more powerful. The, the only function that the Faxstar Plus had at that point was that it had a UV laser, but it, um, that wasn't so useful for so many purposes, really. So you said you had a confocal. Now, you sent me a... That's not, that's no. not, okay, I'll tell you what that but is. What are they? But what confocal did you have? It was a biorad confocal. Radiant? Or give me some names. An MRC, MRC 600, MRC. I think it was an MRC. So you sent me this picture of a Clodomonas, okay. I think, which which actually makes me look like I've got a bit like an alien haircut. It's good, actually. It's kind of, kind of cool, isn't it? So, so you do know that's Clodomonas, do you? Yes. So the reason I sent it is that has to, had to do with my um, PhD work. And, that's, and that picture is, I hope, we're not um, 
going to get into copyright issues. I just got that off the internet. And I didn't take that picture at all. But I think... What picture? <laughs> I didn't no, see a picture. I, I didn't know. <laughs> um, it, it's, that was one of the loves of my life. That's absolutely beautiful. I could sit on a microscope, just a, a, a light, ordinary light microscope, and watch those guys swimming around forever. I think they're absolutely gorgeous. Oh, so one quick fire question. Microscope or cytometer? What would you prefer? Okay, you're getting into an issue there. I think every flow lab absolutely needs to have a microscope, not, not even a confocal. You have to have a, a, you have to look at your cells. I can't tell you how many people have brought cells to a cytometer, run them through like, let's say a sorter or not, and then complained about the results and blamed the operator or the sorter. And it's because they brought dead, clumped, whatever cells at the beginning and they never bothered to look at them, right? Yeah, you should come to some of my lectures. I do a nice skit on uh, <clears throat> the cytometer's not working and let's go to the microscope and and then I mean, let's see the controls. They and, and then what the, controls? And complain about the sorter not working because, or you sort something and what comes out at the end is dead so the cytometer killed the cells well if the cells were dead or maybe this what they get out at the end are it's garbage well what they put in at the beginning was garbage to begin with or it was just bacteria when they thought it was lymphocytes yeah so, so we have all the latest advanced light microscopes the confocals the super red systems but we actually have a basic fluorescence microscope right next to the sorter because it's just what's going on quick look and if we need more we can always go to one of the bigger ones but yeah just but if you if you could use anything you have to choose you either have a flow cytometer or a microscope what would you like to use oh well i have to say a flow cytometer because it's so much fun i mean it's it's wonderful it's got everything it's got optics and it's fluidics and it's got, i mean it's it's and also, I guess I'm better at it. I mean, I never really was trained well enough on a microscope. So I don't, I've never felt truly comfortable on a mic. I mean, I don't really know how to use a microscope the way a really good microscopist is. And arguably a cytometer is a high-speed automated microscope that doesn't have to take images at this point. Well, now, now some cytometers are combined yep. with microscopic. Um, so you talked about the importance of training uh, and maybe not being trained to a high degree for the advanced light microscopy, but obviously you've done a lot of training. You've been training a lot of people on cytometers. Uh, do you prefer training users or running samples or troubleshooting samples or optimizing experiments or? I when I think about it, I think that sort of training or teaching has been a, a kind of thread through my whole, if you want to call it a career. I mean, I really like teaching. And teaching leaves a legacy, which is nice as well. And it brings, it's yeah. always nice seeing your own students coming through and taking over roles similar to our own uh, as it goes through. I mean, I love the teaching for the Open University. I taught um, 
if you will, because you're a Brit, real working class students in Pitt Village in Northumberland. And that was terrific because these were people who they really wanted to, they were, they were there because they really wanted to be there. That was to the Open University and that's really actually open. worth actually, those who are not in the UK, if you're not familiar with, it's worth having a look at because it is a, a, essentially open to, well, it's an open university, uh, online materials, lots of course, uh, with a very good reputation as well. Yeah. Very, really well thought out and, and I met with that. I mean, I did online marking of stuff, but also um, in person once a week and then summer school, residential summer schools, uh, you know, week long and just terrific students. Um, I, I, man, I really enjoyed it. I also taught, I, well, I told you, I think I went in and did some just occasionally with the kids in my, in my kids' primary school where I told you I we dissected eyes and things. Oh yeah, those are my kids actually. I was, we were collecting pond water samples so I could bring the, bring it in. So that, um, I think that was for when I brought pond water samples in for students to look under a microscope. I mean, you could look at pond water samples for hours. It's wonderful. <laughs> and I, I note again, this is Britain because we've got a dry, dry stone wall. There you go. Directly above it. Yeah. Very, York, very Yorkshire as well. So I once, I, I mean, I'm a little nuts. I once took a pond water sample and put it in a closed jam jar, tightly closed lid and put it on our window windowsill. And it stood on that windowsill for years, closed lid. And it would go sort of greenish and then it would sometimes go brownish and greenish. And it never smelled, it never kind of rotted away and it would just change colors with the amount of light of the seasons. And it was terrific. I mean, I thought that was absolutely fascinating, but I mean, I told you I'm a little nuts. <laughs> a whole, whole different experiments. So thinking of training and teaching, who has been your inspirations? Like, is there any one specific moment that, that that person's made a big difference to your own career? So who would that have been? That's a good question. So I have, I should have pre-warned you of this question. Well, I have, Sci there are scientists who have been inspirations and yep. are more personal. Okay, so in my life, I would say, I, I, I guess I would say I have grandparents who were immigrants who came to this country with nothing, no education, no money, and that kind of inspiration. And I have parents who were the children of immigrants and who were kind of trailblazers because they were, now I'm getting a little sentimental, they were from different 
ethnic backgrounds. My father was from an Italian Catholic family and my mother was from a Polish Jewish family. And that wasn't very common in those days. Yep. So I'm kind of inspired by that. But leaving that aside, um, who am I? I have, I'm, I have in mind a scientific inspiration right now because he recently died, Howard Shapiro. And he inspired me not so much. I mean, he was, well, he inspired me because when I first met a flow cytometer and didn't know what it was, his book was uh, wonderful but also because he had a great kind of curiosity and he was very generous. And I didn't, he wasn't somebody I knew really well. I, I, I knew him just a bit, but he just seemed to have a great curiosity and joy and love of science and an outrageous sense of humor, I will say. And, but and also he was a very kind person, I think. And of course, a talent for music as well in Howard's case. And maybe that is the inspiration for this picture. <laughs> well, Which that's, yeah. So I don't play the piano very well, but my husband- You on the piano. This is your husband playing the- My husband's a, 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 an amateur, but exceedingly good cellist. And my son, who is not very old in this picture, is, he's um, an academic, musicologist so he he's a good musician so and he's playing the violin in this so for those who are listening uh, we've got alice at the piano uh, husband on the cello at this point and son playing a violin yes he's more he his specialty is jazz actually i mean he's he's interested in um I don't know, it's hard to, musicology, jazz history, um, that sort of thing. Something to like jazz. So you sent me this picture as well, which I presume is you, you and your husband. Yeah, there's somebody else in this picture which you wouldn't know. I am five months pregnant. When did you meet your husband? In graduate school. Okay, so that, that's early on. So you were fairly young. Yeah, and we're still married. I sent you a picture of a cake. Oh, you did. There you go. So, so, so. So that's our 50th anniversary cake. It, we're now up to, I think, 55. We haven't had a 55th cake, but. So how old were you when you married? 24. Ah. See, I was 22. I beat you oh, there. No, wow. was I? Yes. Was I? Yes, 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 I was. God, God, you shouldn't. Oh my goodness, my wife's going to see this and they'll kill me for double checking that. But that was definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little worried about this. I think it's 55. Well, I mean, such high numbers, you can't expect to keep track of such high numbers. I mean, that's high mathematics. <laughs> there we are, as flow cytometrists, and we live with numbers every day of the week. <laughs> so. Thinking that beyond inspirations, uh, it's really nice to hear the personal ones, actually, because I think it's the personal ones that actually probably drive us more than the ones that are in the scientific world uh, to, to, to succeed. 
So some quick fire questions. Because you flitted around a lot, UK or US? I think the answer to that is that no place is perfect, but every place is quite wonderful, really. I don't know. That's very politically uh, careful. PC. No, it's true. It's not just. I'm not. It's not that I'm trying not to offend anybody. It's really true. Okay. PC or Mac? Mac. And McDonald's or Burger King? Oh, neither. <laughs> Fair enough. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you choose to live? Is there anywhere that romantically think, gosh, that would be, that seems like it'd be such a lovely place to live. I would like to go and live in a house like this at that location. That's, that's difficult. I, I sent you a picture of a trip we had to South Africa and Cape Town is really beautiful, but so is the coast in Italy. And so is. That's not South Africa, is it? No, that's the. Oh. Okay, so that's the cabin. See, I'm married really well. That's the cabin that my husband's grandfather built in the mountains in California. Oh, wow. And it's got one room, but it does have plumbing. So that's nice. But no Wi-Fi. It's iffy, and that's good that it doesn't have much Wi-Fi. You still so you still have this? Yes, and it wow. barely avoided getting burned down in wildfires last summer. Ooh. Wow. And it probably is one of the most beautiful places on earth, too. I I can't answer the question about where I'd like to live. I yeah. I just can't answer that. Not a problem. And, and obviously, okay, so I have to say that those, we went on this wonderful, wonderful trip. We really like traveling. And those, I have to explain that those lines are not dead. Because this, you could interpret this as being these guys with guns shooting lions. And that's not the case. We, meaning my husband and I, were in a vehicle. I'm pointing, which is ridiculous. Yeah, so it's so some sort of just deep. Like, just like that, the other side, and these lions were sleeping because they were, they term is habituated to safari people. And that trip that we had to South Africa, I'd always wanted to go there, partly because seeing animals these magnificent animals in the wild was truly exciting. But also I'd always been fascinated by the, I mean, Nelson Mandela is one of my heroes. And I mean, we got to see the cell where he was imprisoned for 17 years and just what this country has made of itself and it's going through problems now. But I just that trip was just a, a wonderful trip. So that was exciting, wonderful trip. So, so I guess if you're uh, if you're on holiday, you're not someone who's going to sit on a beach all day. You prefer to go out and be active. Uh, yes, 
definitely a sightseer. You got any bad habits? Oh, of course. Now I have to tell you what they are. Oh, uh, yes. Spending too much time on YouTube on my laptop instead of reading. Um, what, 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 did, what do you watch on YouTube? I presume you can tell us. <laughs> well, if I couldn't tell you, I wouldn't. I mean, you won't, you won't know. You won't know the things that I won't tell you, so that's no problem there. Um, um, I, I, I don't know. There's so much, it's really quite a wonderful resource. There's all sorts of music and and all sorts of old films and um, and, and just one thing leads to another. But I won't tell you what. It, <laughs> no, I mean, you can just look at all sorts of music and. Master classes. I love watching master classes of, of musicians training other musicians and things of that sort. I, I, I think it's yeah. quite wonderful. So, so one of the quick fire questions, book or TV? Oh, definitely book. I mean, I did go through a phase a long time ago when I was watching these so-called, I guess you call them police procedurals, but I haven't done that. I, I watched a little bit of news on television, but I also like listening to news on the radio, but I like reading books. And, and YouTube has taken it over anyway for, you, for yourself. And what sort of book? What sort of book? Is it fictional, non-fictional? What sort of genre? I used to say it was always fiction, but I've been reading non-fiction a little bit more now. Um, I guess both. Okay. Uh, are you an early bird or night owl? More a night owl, but maybe neither. I just like to sleep late and get to bed early, I guess. <laughs> okay. Tea or coffee? I think I go in phases. I think I should write a paper on whether, I don't know if it's related to the phases of the moon or hormones, but lately it's been more coffee, but a while back I didn't drink much coffee at all. It was more tea. So I both, think. I guess. Beer or wine? Um, I, I, was, I got prepared for this one. Actually, it depends on what I'm eating. If I'm eating hamburgers or Indian food, it's gotta be beer. But if I'm having something like Italian food, definitely would be wine, not beer. Red or white? Red, unless it's a really hot summer day and yeah, okay. white. And, and, and so a beer with your burgers, but not for McDonald's or Burger King? For sure, a proper burger. Oh, proper burger, yeah. So I quite like a McDonald's every now and then. Uh, well, I, I used to, but I mean, lately it's they've got a little kind of greasy and thin. I, I used to think they were that was they were a good deal, you know, cheap and, and a lot of meat. But I don't know about it lately. Chocolate or cheese? I can't have both. Well, okay. no, go on. You got to make a choice. Both in front. If the cheese is good. Good cheese. I'll go for the cheese. Okay. 
And uh, so what, what is your favourite food? You've heard Italians, burgers, cheese, chocolate. What is your favourite food? If you were to be taken out, what would be your favourite main course? What, what would you really like to have? I, I like, if it's a restaurant, I like it to be a sort of peasant. Not, I don't like these kind of fancy places where they draw designs on your plate with sauce. You, you know what I mean? You mean the regions of interest that they're drawing around? You don't like you don't like this the place I top <laughs> decorated plates. But I like I like Italian. I like Indian food actually. I like Italian food. Okay, so Indian food. Where's better, UK or US? I think it's better in the UK. At least when we were last there, it was getting to be. You know, really good in the UK. Yeah, it, it is. Definitely. And now I'm getting hungry. I shouldn't have asked that question. What's your least favourite food? If someone put it, we went, oh, no, do I really have to eat that? What would be your least favourite food? Well, I used to, it, pretty much I like anything except I once was invited, my husband, I don't know if he was my husband at that time or not, but he was almost my husband. And we got invited to a meal at my former roommate's house and she was just married. And I think she was trying to show off her culinary skills. So I'm telling you, I thought I could eat anything, but she served us brains. And they, I don't know how you can cook. Maybe there are ways you can cook brains, but these brains were smallish. And they just sat on a plate looking up at me and they were very gray. And to me, they looked like they'd just come out of formaldehyde on a, some bottle yeah. somewhere. And I just couldn't eat them. And I tried to push them around on my plate so nobody would notice. And I tucked them under a lettuce leaf and I hope nobody would notice. <laughs> and I hope nobody would notice. But as we left that evening, we were going down the stairs. And the first thing Kurt, my husband said to me was, um, I guess I should take you out for a hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> so he noticed anyway. <laughs> well, I guess I like almost any kind of food except probably not brains. Well, I, I, however, I, I'm not sure I've ever had brains. I, I, maybe if they were cooked nice and crispy and, and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's probably been in some meat produce that I've had at some point, but I guess that would just be awful if I did try it. <laughs> oh. Sorry, bad joke <laughs> at that point. What has been... Uh, the most difficult time in your career? Oh, well, definitely that there was a period of five or more years when I was virtually unemployed and, and couldn't, you know, just, I mean, I made the decision that I didn't want to live, have a long distance marriage. And Didn't, I mean, I don't know if I could, even if I had wanted to have a long distance marriage. 
I don't know whether I could have got a good job or not, but I was essentially not working in a good job and I was not happy with that. So that was difficult. So on the flip side to that, what about the most fun time? What was the highlight of your career? So you're talking about career. So certainly a highlight of my life. I mean, I loved having kids and I loved being with them and all of that. A highlight of my career, I loved, oh, bunch of stuff. I loved writing a book. I loved working with flow cytometers in any way possible. And I loved running flow courses as well, those, those things. All of which have also had big impacts as well. And time goes really fast and we are coming up to the hour. But you sent me this picture, which I love. Oh my God. <laughs> so that represents chaotic life. On the, on the left, so we had a house guest at the time. So I'm juggling house guests. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm cooking. I don't remember what I was cooking necessarily. Maybe I was making bread because I love making bread, but I was a little bit of a compulsive freak. Why did I have to make bread? Behind your head is a chicken on the table. But also on the table is a three-month-old baby. And also we were... I think we used a kit, but I was making beer. Oh, so, so, because they look like Newcastle Brown. Well, that's what I'm a little puzzled beer about. Bottles. I would, but, but I, we did make beer, but why did they have those labels? I'm not sure. But maybe, maybe all this chaos had driven me to drink. I'm not sure. But also, if, I don't know whether you would, you wouldn't comment on it, but that was a phase in my life when I didn't have time to get my hair cut. <laughs> as well <laughs> so i'm just seeing this picture as kind of chaotic life but it was good it was a good life as well i i, I was more amazed by the the retro kitchen of the red oh, workshops retro is a very complimentary term i mean the, the stove was one that you had to flip something to get the gas yeah uh lit and also the cupboards went through many iterations where we kept scraping them off to try to figure out what to do because we didn't like this and we didn't like that. And then we scraped them to be natural. It was just with bad plywood, but we would paint them and then we didn't like the white and then we didn't like the natural and we didn't. So they weren't in a very, very good state of affairs either. And the huge pepper dispenser, which is. Oh, so that. Monstrous. I think I bought in Italy. So that, so that's good. That represents something. And I don't know if the knives over on the left represent uh, what I was going to fling at somebody if I reached the limit of self-control. <laughs> that's pretty. There's, there's just one other question I have to ask. And this is a, actually, maybe we take this one offline. You said you had a story about Pocklington, I think. About what? Pocklington in near York. Oh, oh my God. And, and, and so this is a place local to where I live now, for those who are not familiar with York and Pocklington, yeah. is, I guess, 10 miles down the road. But you said you had a... <laughs> go, go on, tell us, because this sounds entertaining. 
Well, when we lived, when we worked at York University, we lived in, we had a, a staff flat in um, Derwent College. And there was a faculty member, I think, who used to hang out in the senior common room there. And we used to chat with him. And he told us about someone who was called, he told us about the bull of Hawklington. This wasn't the bull. This wasn't the pub. Maybe there is a pub called the bull of Hawklington. But this was a person who was said to be the father of half the children in Hawklington. <laughs> I have no idea, but I'm sure there was a gross exaggeration, but how gross, I don't know. Bocklington, for the, again, for those who don't know, is actually quite a large town. <laughs> that would be a bit one baby. Oh, oh so that was, would have been quite a, a feat. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. He wasn't referring to himself, was he? Um, well, we won't go there right now. <laughs> anyway, Alice, we, we have up to the hour now, just gone over, I think. Thank you very much for agreeing to be with us. You know, it's great to have someone who was only momentarily at York, but has gone on to have such a big impact across the community and especially in flow cytometry uh, from the very start through the surgeon, the clinical, to the research, to the teaching, to the book. Alice, thank you so much for what you've given to cytometry. Uh, and it's been lovely to meet you. Well, it's been lovely. It's funny, I feel like we've, cross paths uh, sort of 50 years apart or something like that. But it's been nice to meet you too. Yeah, I did, Joyce, lucky you left. Otherwise you'd have had my job and I wouldn't have a career. So that's probably very fortunate you went back to the US at that point. And everyone who's watched or listened, actually it is worth watching because that, that kitchen is so brilliantly retro. Uh, it's worth having a look, but no matter what you're watching or listening on, please subscribe. And uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Flow Stars. Alice. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pete. And Flowstar is perhaps a little bit too um, complimentary a term, but thank you. Pleasure. <laughs>